we sing, we live our lives for him, we are in his presence. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm thankful that uh, Brother Van Gelderen said this morning that the righteous, it's Jesus that declares us the righteous. It's his righteousness upon our lives that uh, we're ever before the Lord. We're always, we're always in his presence. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, I'm thankful for the, uh, just the, the short time that I've uh, been able to uh, get to know Brother Van Gelderen a little bit over last night and and today, I'm looking forward to the next couple of days of allowing him to sharpen me and uh, allow his uh, family to just minister to us. And uh, I said at 10 o'clock, um, I, th I think it was more in a prayer, but I'm thankful for a family that uh, would go from week to week, different places, would pick up, go to someone else, and they would give of their lives for three, four days uh, to minister to a church. And uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're praying that the Lord would bless you and reward you accordingly. Now, can I ask you, listen, th this, isn't, this isn't a guilt question. I, you know me. I, I don't try to twist your arms and, uh, and try to guilt you with anything. But I think if, unless you're traveling out of town, unless you've got the flu or something, let's, let, let, let's take the sacrifice that they're, that they're bringing, coming here, uh, you know, to a new place every week, and uh, let's be in our place. Tonight, 6 o'clock, and then uh, tomorrow and Tuesday night, uh, both at uh, 7 p.m. And I really encourage you about nursery for those, uh, for those services. And some of you have uh, come in since the announcement. So I just wanted to say that to you, that that will be uh, available to you. And I hope that you will, uh, I hope that you will avail yourself uh, to that. Uh, well, I'm going to have uh, Brother John come up now. And uh, he's a man of the word, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, he's a man that makes much of Jesus. And, uh, and so I'm anticipating uh, what the Lord is going to do. So open up your hearts this morning. All right. Thank you, Pastor. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in the scripture this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me have my wife and son stand up. Uh, Mary Lynn and uh, John Jr. And we are delighted to be here. Uh, Mary Lynn uh, is... Uh, as uh, you'll get to know her, she's uh, definitely the more social side of our equation, and she's full of life and full of fun. <laughs> and uh, John Jr. has been a delight. We were married 17 years before the Lord gave us our first and only child. I was 40 when he was born. So we started off with grandchildren. <laughs> they say it's more fun. So uh, at any rate, uh, that's been a delight ever since. And uh, <laughs> uh, we thank the Lord for that. We've been on, my wife and I have been on the road since uh, January 1992. And uh, so we uh, base out of Michigan now since uh, 98, and uh, uh, much of the time have a fifth wheel trailer that we're in, but uh, we home base in uh, Michigan. And so uh, it was on January the 5th that we got our fifth wheel trailer uh, loaded up uh, there uh, uh, in Michigan and pulled out. It was four below zero, <laughs> not below freezing, below zero <laughs> when we left Michigan. <laughs> And uh, that was amazing. And three and a half days to get out to California. And uh, we've been in California uh, these uh, last uh, almost two months and just loved it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Obviously beautiful weather, but we've enjoyed the people and the churches. And I uh, just enjoyed uh, the scenery. We've been back and forth from L.A. to Sacra Sacramento and so forth. I just came up from Delano uh, yesterday. And then when this meeting is over, we have to leave. <laughs> and we go back east. Uh, to the next meeting in West Kansas. 
So praying that it's not snowing in Flagstaff when we go over that mountain pass <laughs> and so on. Uh, we've got to get uh, used to the cold again uh, for at least a, a little bit there. But uh, good to be here in California. I appreciate what your pastor said about uh, uh, this meeting. Uh, as you can see on your screens, it, uh, it's called a winter revival. It's a time where we're seeking God's reviving presence. And uh, obviously you've got three days and we've got three services today. And then we've got Monday night and Tuesday nights so five services. In other words, in a three-day period of time, we're going to have uh, a more of a concentration on preaching. And that allows for what some call the cumulative effect on preaching. Doesn't that sound fancy? <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, it means that you can go truth upon truth, build a uh, building, and uh, it's, it's close proximity chronologically so that you can remember the previous truth, <laughs> hopefully, and uh, connect the dots. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to deal with the progression of truth and what it means to be revived personally. Another way of saying that and what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God and know it. Now, friends, God commands us to be filled with the Spirit. And the command is in a verb tense that means all the time. So when you know what it means to be filled with the Spirit of the living God and know it. And so that's what we're going to be looking at these days. In the Sunday school hour, we looked at a God-focused life. That's where it all starts. And I looked at the emphasis there in that uh, psalm on heart cry. And I know many of you have prayed leading up to this meeting, but now that we've started, let's keep praying. And uh, get alone with God or get together with your spouse and family and cry out. Let's ask God to give us all he desires to give in these days. There may be burdens on your heart and areas in your life where you long for liberation, you long for freedom, where Jesus came to set the captives free. And why not lift your voice and cry out, God, would you give me the truth that you know I need that would set me free in a given area? Now, do you think God would delight to answer that? Absolutely. And so it may be that you feel very ineffective in impacting others. Well, ask God to equip you with himself, with his truth, so that there's impact on others. And, uh, excuse me, God delights to hear that cry. And so this morning we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 as we continue in this progression of truth on what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God and know it. We looked at God focus uh, because uh, that's where it all starts. You don't have faith. You don't have God dependence without God focus. Uh, we're going to see that faith as we move along accesses grace. It accesses a God in us, the provision that God has made. We'll get into that some detail later, perhaps even tonight. But this morning, I want us to look at a passage that gives us a picture of what it looks like when you as an individual are filled with the Spirit of Jesus. So let's look at this text. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, that's a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed, transformed into that same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Changed to the image of Jesus. What does it look like when you're filled with the Spirit? The title of this message is A Glow with the Indwelling Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd be our teacher in this hour. Spirit of God, would you open the eyes of our understanding of this truth of being a glow, radiant, fragrant, with the very life and person of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, I pray that you'd use truth today to nurture faith, to bring us into a greater understanding and greater experience of Jesus, this side of heaven. And so I plead the victory of Jesus through the shed blood to protect us from the attack of the enemy who so seeks to keep us to not focus on Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, I, I claim our position in you at the throne far above all principality and power. And in your name, I once again exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, we need to meet with you today. Would you grant that? And Lord, use truth to make free. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago now, I was preaching in the country of South Africa, and the missionary friend there took me to an area of the country called Venda on the west side of uh, Kruger Park, uh, which is a game park about the size of the state of Vermont or the nation of Israel. It's an amazing uh, game park. On the other side of that, the game park is the country of Mozambique. They have refugees coming through there all the time, often losing their kids to the animals, uh, but coming into South Africa hoping for a better life. And uh, there's a little church in a little village called Mashamba. Uh, that uh, man who grew up there got saved and uh, called to preach, trained, came and started a church there. I remember the first time I went into that village, uh, the missionary uh, took us by the marketplace, an open marketplace, uh, the only marketplace, to buy two live chickens uh, to drop off at the chief's house on the way into his village. Now, when we came into town last night, we did not drop off two live chickens with your mare. <laughs> but uh, this is the way they do it over there. Now, you got to understand a scene like this. In a village like this, um, the majority of the people do not have electricity. In other words, it's not just that they lose it for several hours a day like some places. They just don't have it, period. Try to let that sink in. Um, especially in light of our modern technology. <laughs> No electricity. And the majority of these people do not have plumbing. No running water. Again, try to let that sink in. In most of the dwelling places, they have an earthen floor. Some had a cement floor. Uh, the pastor's house actually had a cement floor, so uh, we slept on the floor. Nothing wrong with that. Had a blanket, slept on the floor, and got up in the morning. And, you know, the average American is just uh, used to maybe taking a shower, you know, get cleaned up, ready for the day. Well, there's no plumbing, so forget that idea. That's not going to happen. Uh, they did have a barrel of water outside the uh, house where somebody had hauled up water, put it in this barrel, and they would bring in a basin full at a time into a little room that was like a restroom. <laughs> now, it wasn't a restroom. Uh, the real restroom was one of those outdoor kind, uh, but uh, they had a little room with this basin of water so that you could kind of wash up and get ready for the day. When it was my turn, I walked in, and I took a look around, and there was no mirror. <laughs> Now, the average American's used to looking at the mirror, at least briefly, uh, uh, to get uh, things taken care of before he heads out. I realize that some look at it longer than others. <laughs> uh, but most take at least a brief look to make sure things are not in total disarray. Well, that wasn't going to happen either. Now, I've learned in my travels to always bring a little, you know, travel mirror. So I pulled it out, you know, a little tiny mirror, and set it up on a windowsill, did the best I could, comb my hair, got ready for the day. Well, a couple of hours later, I had the privilege of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to 500 uh, teenagers, uh, secondary students in a public school there. What a delight. I mean, what an absolute delight. Uh, they didn't have an auditorium, no facility like that of the, uh, at all. So we met in an uh, uh, outdoor open courtyard, and these 500 teenagers stood the entire time that I preached. 
Now, I was mindful of the fact that they were standing, so I kept it on the shorter side. So if you think I'm going too long, you just stand up, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, at any rate, uh, he just stood up. Well, we'll see what happens. It's a good thing I didn't say I'll stop. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's the first time that's happened. I, was, <laughs> I knew that was going to happen sooner or later. Uh, but uh, uh, at any rate, when I was preaching, the missionary was behind me, and he was taking pictures of the events. He had the 500 faces, you know, looking at the camera. He's behind me, so, you know, I'm preaching away. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, they got the film developed. Does anybody remember what that was like? <laughs> I know the young people don't know what that story is about. But they got the film developed, and so it was a few days later. They showed me a picture, and I looked in this picture, and the hair on the back of my head was sticking straight out. <laughs> my mother used to call it rooster tails. <laughs> well, there was a bunch of them. Uh, my wife calls it bad head. Well, whatever you want to call it, it was a bad hair day, if you know what I'm saying. And I remember looking at that picture thinking, you know, don't I have any friends? <laughs> you know, somebody could have told me, you know, you, know you, you need to take care of this. Well, who knows? Maybe the Africans thought it was some newfangled American hairstyle. <laughs> have you ever been in need of a mirror, but you couldn't find one? Have you ever tried the back of a spoon? About all you see is your nose. Well, that's a little disconcerting. Uh, I remember one time I needed a mirror, and I couldn't find anything, and then I saw a metal doorknob. So when nobody's looking, I'm looking at the doorknob, <laughs> uh, trying to catch a reflection, but it was dull, and I could not catch a clear reflection. It was frustrating. Now, in our passage, as I mentioned, the word glass is the concept of a mirror. And what we're going to see in this uh, text and context is that God intends for his children to be like mirrors that reflect the glory of the Lord himself. You know, friends, we live in a world where people are searching. When you look at some of the sadistic and wild and just kind of... Uh, forgive the term, but sometimes amazing or even bizarre things that people do and do to themselves, obviously they're searching. They don't know the answer. They're searching to find fulfillment somehow, some way. And you know, along the way, they may discover that you call yourself a Christian, perhaps a born-again Christian. And some of these folks, we may not be aware of it or not, but they come and they look at us to see if there's any reality of Jesus. I want to ask you, dear friend, what do they see? Who do they see? Is it just us? Or are we aglow with the indwelling Christ? Is there a reflection of Jesus himself? Now, how can that happen? I want us to dive into the surrounding context. We're going to do something a little different than I normally do in preaching. Instead of the typical homiletical approach of three points and a poem <laughs> or something like that, uh, we're going to do what they called 100 years ago a Bible reading. Now, it's more than just reading through the Scripture, but it's looking at the surrounding uh, verses to shed light on our opening thoughts. So let's back up to verse 4 and begin to walk through the passage. It says, in such trust, that's faith, have we through Christ to God words? We're talking about faith in God. Then verse 5 is going to describe it. Now listen to this. It's amazing. Not that we are sufficient, that's the idea of adequate, of ourselves to think anything is of, and the idea there is from ourselves. But our sufficiency, our adequacy is of, it's from God. Now may I remind us, this is the Apostle Paul writing. Of course, he's writing under inspiration. And he says, we are not adequate. We are not sufficient 
for anything. Now, we don't like that because that hurts our ego. And we stumble over it. This is what unsaved people stumble over in the matter of salvation. Because the religions of the world say if you're good enough, you'll make it. And, uh, you know, you just try hard, whatever, whatever. Uh, you know, surely you'll make it. And this is saying, no, we're not sufficient. I remember talking to an elderly lady in East Ohio, and, and she was very much depending on her good works to try to get her to heaven. And obviously God wants us to live right, but that's not what gets you to heaven. The standard for heaven is perfection. The standard for heaven is God. Only God meets the standard of God. And she said, you're not giving me any credit. <laughs> well, that's the point. And it's amazing. This is the same point that saved people stumble over in their Christian life and experience. You see, sometimes we understand, and rightly so, that you get saved. You're justified by grace through faith in Christ alone. And then people go back to self-dependent effort. They go back to struggle for sanctification. Now, friends, justification is by faith, not works. Sanctification is also by faith, not human self-effort. That's why it says, look, we're not sufficient. We are not adequate. Only God meets the standard of God. That's why we need imputed righteousness, credited righteousness in justification. It's why we need imparted righteousness in sanctification. And so it's one of the, it's really one of the most difficult truths for us to learn because our typical thought is, you know, just get up and try harder. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just try harder. And every unsaved moralist can say amen to that self-focused message. Friends, it's not a matter of try harder. It's a matter of accessing God, accessing provision. And so we have to come to grips with that. If we're going to walk by faith, then we're not sufficient. But God is. And so it gets us to that understanding, ah, though we're not sufficient, God is all sufficient. Though we're not adequate, God is adequate. And this same God that saves us not only takes us to heaven, he moves into us providing his leadership in life for everything that he's called us to do. And so verse 6 says, Who, God, also hath made us able ministers. Now, he's not talking about human ability. He just said we're not sufficient. He's talking about when we trust him, he graces us. He enables us with divine uh, ability. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Do you realize if you're saved, it is your privilege, in fact responsibility, to be a supernaturally enabled minister of New Testament truth. But then it goes on and says, not of the letter. We often refer to the letter of the law. This is technically the letter of New Testament truth. But it says here, we are enabled by his divine life to be uh, ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now, the Spirit here is not talking about an attitude. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, as we'll see here in the context. It is not an attitude that gives life. It's the Holy Spirit of God who gives life. But notice it says here, the letter kills The Spirit gives life. Now, friends, what that means is without the Spirit, we can be correct to a certain extent with the letter or the exact rendering of New Testament teaching, not just the letter of the law, 
But without the Spirit, it kills. No wonder the Apostle Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, I came not unto you in word only, but in power and the Holy Spirit and much assurance. You see, what we need is the word and the Spirit. Now, some people emphasize the Spirit to the point that they de-emphasize the Word. That's dangerous because when you minimize the Word, when you ignore the Word, uh, then it's no longer the Spirit. It leads to delusion and strange fire. But others, (laughs) excuse me, afraid of the strange fire, afraid of that delusion, they upplay the Word, they emphasize the Word, but they downplay the Spirit. They minimize or ignore or even disparage the Spirit And friends, that leads to deadness. That leads to no fire. Now look, I don't want strange fire, but no fire is not the answer. What we need is the Word and the Spirit. That's dynamic. And that leads to Holy Spirit revival fire. And so that's the emphasis here. You need both. Now verse 8. But if the ministration, that's the word ministry, of death. Now that's an odd phrase, don't you think? Well, what ministry are you involved in? Well, I'm involved in the ministry of death. (laughs) I knew a few guys like that in Chicago where I grew up. (laughs) The ministry of death, what is this talking about? It says written and engraven in stones. Do you know what that is? That's the Ten Commandments. Now, why does God call it a ministry of death? Because the law does not remove sin. The law reveals sin and condemns it. Now, friends, the law is holy and just and good, Romans 7 tells us. But it doesn't remove sin. It reveals sin and condemns it. And thus, it is a ministry of death. It is a ministry of condemnation. But in so doing, according to Galatians, it becomes then the schoolmaster to show us, hey, you need Jesus. But on its own, the law is a ministry of death, of condemnation. But notice it says, it was glorious. (laughs) So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. You remember those times when God, God met with Moses on Mount Sinai. And on that one occasion when he came down after communing with God, his face was aglow. You remember they put the veil over his face? That's going to be referenced here in a moment. Can you imagine looking at another human being and their face is so radiant, so bright, so shining that you can't keep looking? It's like looking at the sun. You can't do it. It's too bright. There was a glory even in the ministry of the law because it's God's law. But notice what the text is getting after. It's going to contrast that in verse 8. How shall not the ministration, the ministry of the Spirit, be rather or more glorious? Andrew Murray. How many of you know the name Andrew Murray? The author from about 100 years ago. uh, Written some tremendous books in South Africa. uh, That's where he ministered. He was from Scotland. Uh, But Andrew Murray became the pastor of the church on the town square in Worcester, South Africa, actually in 1860 as a younger man. And uh, the first text he preached on was that text. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather or more glorious? (laughs) Within 
weeks. That church was in a full-blown revival. It spread to the community. It spread to the region. It spread to the nation. It is known now in our revival history books as the great revival of 1860. The intercession that led up to it is a great and tremendous story. But when God began to breathe on that congregation, time was lost. And the services would roll on hour after hour. And often they would dismiss at 3 o'clock a.m. Now, you don't have to have a service go to 3 a.m. to say you've had revival. <laughs> That's just a detail in this story. The stories vary along those lines. But it is glorious, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't it be glorious to have a service that just rolls on and rolls on and nobody wants to leave? Because God is there and you're aware of his presence and you don't want to leave that presence? Glorious. It's a spiritual glory, but it's glorious. In fact, when they would go home at 3 a.m., it is said that they would often sing their way through the streets on their way back to their houses. Can you imagine singing your way through your neighborhood at 3 o'clock a.m.? <laughs> Can you imagine singing your way through your neighborhood at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? See, they were basking in the presence of God. They were meeting with God. They were caught up with God. They, they were awed with God. They were adoring God. And it didn't matter what time of the day or night it was. They were singing the praises of their God. There's a glory to that. It's a spiritual glory. Now, the text is going to contrast this even further. Verse 9. For if the ministration of condemnation, remember the law, death be glory, much more, there's your contrast, doth the ministration of righteousness, the spirit, life, exceed. There's another comparative word in glory. Verse 10, for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. You see, there's a, a comparative word again. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more, there it is again, that which remaineth is glorious. Now look, words could not put this more strongly. That though there was a glory to the law and the ministry of the law, which is a ministry of condemnation, though there was a glory, so much so that Moses' face shone, the ministry of the Spirit is such greater ministry, there's such a greater glory, there is so much more, so excelling, so exceeding, that it, it, it so eclipses it so uh, overshadows, it so outshines, it's as if the former glory had no glory by reason of the glory that far outshines it. Now, friends, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. That's the ministry that's being talked about there. And you know the Holy Spirit has not been sent back yet? We live in the age of the Holy Spirit. We live in the age of grace, the church age. The age of the Spirit of Jesus leading and enabling his disciples and his church. And so God is wanting us here in this text to see this great ministry of the Spirit. And yet we live in a day where the ministry of the Spirit is ignored. Minimized. People are afraid because they don't want to be too, you know, wildfire, whatever. What a master move of Satan to get some into actual wildfire and to get others into no fire. Two extremes. Because they're afraid of the wildfire. I'm going to tell you something, friends. We need the blessed ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. 
And when you grab a hold of it, here's what happens, verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, which is not your idea of wishful thinking, but rather the idea of confidence and expectation. Seeing then that we, because of this provision of the ministry of the Spirit, have such confidence and expectation, we use great plainness, which is boldness of speech. D.L. Moody, they said, slaughtered the king's English. He didn't have that much education. I think actually he was a brilliant man, very gifted. But nonetheless, he didn't have that much education. And so he didn't use the English language well. And yet on one occasion, he went to the king's land, England. And he went to the city of London. And he put an ad in the paper challenging the Atheistic League of London. A 5,000-member League of Atheists, self-proclaimed intellectuals in that day. And he challenged them to come on such and such a night to such and such an auditorium in London and hear him preach. Can you imagine doing that? 2,000 atheists came. Can you imagine being in a, a service with 2,000 atheists? Moody said, what hymn would you like to sing? One guy yelled out, atheists don't have hymns. And D.L. Moody preached a simple gospel message. Gave an invitation. Who will trust Christ? Nobody moved. It's like they were frozen. And so he said to the ushers, you may open the doors. And he looked at that audience. Anyone who would like to leave, you may leave. You know, no one left. D.L. Moody preached a second gospel message. Same night. Gave an invitation. Who will trust Christ? And one of these atheists cried out, I can't trust Jesus Christ. What a sad situation. Nobody else moved. Moody said to the ushers, you may open the doors. Anybody like to leave, you may leave. Again, no one left. D.L. Moody preached a third gospel message, same night. Gave an invitation, who will trust Christ? This time, the leader of the Atheistic League of London stood up and in defiance said, I won't trust Jesus Christ. And D.L. Moody pointed his finger at that man. And he said to that group of atheists, there's your leader. How many of you will follow him? And nobody moved. And D.L. Moody preached a fourth gospel message. I'd have liked to have been there. On the prodigal son. And gave an invitation. Who will trust Christ? And 500 atheists were no longer atheists. As they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Moody kept preaching over the next several nights. And before it was done, 2,000 out of 5,000 were born again, converted. And uh, it broke the back of the Atheistic League of London in that day. <laughs> now friends, think about this. What could motivate a man, especially a man who didn't have that much education, didn't use the English language well, to go to a city, an intellectual center like London, and challenge the intellectuals to come and hear him preach? Is it not obvious that Moody understood that the sufficiency was not in D.L. Moody? Is it not also obvious that D.L. Moody understood the sufficiency was in Almighty God through the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit? And because he understood the ministry of the Spirit of the living God, he could use great boldness of speech. Now, friends, you and I may not have the same calling of D.L. Moody. But if you're a child of God, you have a place in God's kingdom work and you can't do it apart from the same ministry of the Holy Spirit.
But with that ministry, you can be a supernaturally enabled minister of New Testament truth. Let's read on. And not as Moses, verse 13, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day uh, remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. What a statement. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is uh, upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, their heart, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Notice the order there. We would think the veil is taken away so their heart can be turned to the Lord. No, it's by faith. Their heart turns to the Lord. Then the veil is taken away. Interesting order. Verse 17, now the Lord is that spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is Lord? He's co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. And it's time we recognize that he is. He is God. And so and where the spirit of the Lord is... There's liberty. That is where the Spirit is Lord. That is where you and I yield to the Lordship of the Spirit of God in our life. When we do, there's liberty. Liberty. Not the freedom to do what we want. The freedom to finally do right for a change. <laughs> By the power of the divine Spirit. The liberty of the actual life of Jesus, where the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus is love and joy and peace. See, that's true liberty. Verse 18, but we all, not just Paul, but we all with open face, just like a child with that open face, beholding. That's not a casual look, that's a careful look. As in a glass. Now notice the word as. So it's not actually looking into a mirror, it's like, it's as. It's like looking into a mirror. And there we behold the glory of the Lord. Now in James chapter 1, the mirror imagery is used there. And in James 1, uh, the imagery is the Word of God. And certainly, the, or the mirror is the Word of God. Certainly, really our primary avenue of seeing Jesus is when the Holy Spirit opens our understanding to truth. And like that mirror, we see Jesus in this book. We could apply that to this text. But in this context, the emphasis is not the Word being the mirror. The emphasis is you a believer being the mirror. We'll come back to that in a moment. Look at what happens when people see this reflection of the glory of the Lord. It says they're changed into the same image from glory to glory. Somehow there's an upward spiral. How? Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's all through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That word changed is used in Romans 12 too, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's used in the Gospels of Jesus, transfigured. And you remember Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration allowed the glory of his deity, which he had set aside when he came into our world, he allowed that to be manifested. And that glory so shone, it lit up his outer clothing is the uh, indication of the text there. Who he was was manifested. Now here's the same word being used of you and I. God wants who you are in Christ to be manifested. Who are you in Christ? Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, God wants that Jesus in you to be seen, to be manifested, to be like that mirror where people catch a reflection of Jesus. Where there's a fragrance, there's an aura, there's a radiance, there's a glory, there's a glow. His name is Jesus. Now, friends, God wants people to actually see 
Jesus. That's why he moved in to impart his life to us so that we are animated by him and when rivers of living water flow through us, people actually see him. Now I realize it's not physical. It's spiritual. But it's just as real as if it were physical. They see the Lord. They actually see him. I remember when we had a meeting back in, oh, I don't know what year it was, uh, but in San Francisco, at Hamilton Square, David Ennis. And uh, my son was quite young, and I didn't feel like bringing my fifth wheel into San Francisco, so <laughs> we stayed in their province chamber. And uh, John was like a year and a half old, maybe two years old. Uh, I don't know, I think a year and a half. Uh, but at any rate, uh, to take him out, uh, you know, just get him out of the building, I'd take him down the street, and uh, I'd go to Starbucks. Of course, there's one about every other uh, corner there. And so uh, I had John trained that if I put a gospel track in his hand, he would hand it to the nearest person. That really got interesting in San Francisco. <laughs> and uh, it had opened up really neat conversations, and it began a ministry for my son and I called Starbucks Evangelism. <laughs> so... Uh, few months later, we were in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and one afternoon, I told my wife, uh, hey, there's a Starbucks uh, downtown uh, over here, and so I'm going to take uh, John to, to Starbucks for Starbucks evangelism. Of course, that also means for a latte, but nonetheless, we walked in. A young lady was working there. She smiled and said, hello, may I help you? And immediately, the thought went across my mind, just went across my mind, she's a believer. Now, I've never seen her before, never met her before. It wasn't based on what she was wearing. I don't remember what she was wearing. She's standing behind the counter. And it's not just that she smiled. Unsaved people can smile. <laughs> but there was a reflection. That glow. And I knew that was Jesus. So I placed our order, put a gospel track in John's hand. He handed it to her. She took it, opened it, saw what it was, and said, Oh, I'm a believer too, and gave a clear testimony. Friends, I already knew. See, that's what this is talking about. I told you we're getting ready to go to Kansas, that very town, Ulysses, Kansas, some years ago when I was there. I went to the post office and it was packed out and there were two or three workers there. And one of those workers, a lady I've never seen or met before, she was just radiant with Jesus. And I'm standing, you know, like from here to the front row and, and you can just see this lady was a glow. And I was hoping I would get to uh, talk to her, but uh, the way the line went, somebody else helped me. But later on that week, I was back, and I did get to talk to her. I said, are you a born-again Christian? She said, well, yes, I am. <laughs> I already knew. Friends, that's powerful. A glow. See, what, is it, what does it look like when you're filled with the Spirit? It looks like Jesus. Because the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, and the Spirit for life is when the Spirit fills you with the life. Of Jesus. That's the spirit-filled life. You say, is that really what this is talking about? Look at the next verse. It says, therefore. Chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we, we have, uh, have this ministry. See, we have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we faint not. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Look. When you, don't under, when you don't understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you can bow to deceitful tactics to try to get the work of God done. But when you understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to bow to deceitful methods. No. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is the one who draws people to Jesus? And did you know that Jesus is attractive? 
And so let's read on. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them to the lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, there's your radiance. For we preach, not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, what does it mean to preach Christ? You say, well, you preach the gospel. That's true. Is that all? Friends, do you see it? Preaching Christ is not only preaching the message of Christ, but it's in the event as you preach the right words and you preach the good news and you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that in that very event they actually, because Jesus is shining through you, they actually see the very Jesus of the message. They see good news personified. They see the Lord. And friends, that's what gives the gospel power. When you and I preach it, and yet it's not just us. There's that glimpse, there's that reflection, there's that aura, there's that glow. They actually see the Jesus of the message. You say, is that really what it's talking about? Look at verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, the God of creation, now here it is, has shined in our hearts. See where the mirrors to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Amazing. Earthen vessels. Clay mirrors. You know what that means? It means this is supernatural. It's miraculous. And that's the whole point. Because that next phrase says that the excellency of the power may be of God. And not of us. And God gets the glory. I have some dear friends. The husband's now with the Lord. But he and his wife went to... Uh, China for uh, several weeks. She was Chinese in background. And so uh, they were witnessing to their atheist guide those uh, weeks and to another lady that showed some interest. And uh, toward the end of that time, uh, as they were talking, uh, the atheist guide said to uh, my friends, well, how do we know that your Jesus just isn't your form of our Confucius? And my friend said, because Jesus rose again. Well, that's a good answer. The atheist said, how do you know? That's a fair question. Now, historically, many people who have tried to disprove the resurrection have gotten converted in the attempt because there's so much proof. But I love how the conversation went. The atheists were saying, you know, back when we met a couple of weeks ago, the tour group, I was just kind of drawn to you two. And my, wife, uh, my friend's wife spoke up and said, oh, if you were drawn to us, there's nothing in us, in and of ourselves, for you to be drawn to. But Jesus lives, lives in us. And she says, that's how you know he rose again. And the atheist said, I believe you. Fifteen years ago, there was a born-again Christian in my group. And the same look that I saw in that person's eyes, I see in your eyes. That's the glow. Now, friends, the mirror, when it's smeared, when it's dulled, people don't see Jesus. In other words, when we hang on to sin and bitterness and we're angry and when we're messing with vice and stuff that just mucks it up, people don't see Jesus. Now, Jesus is still there, but we hide him. We rob God of his glory. We imprison the Son of God, as it were, within us by, by, by being selfish and self-willed and self-dependent. What a tragedy. 
There are people around you that need to see Jesus. They need to see him. They need to see Jesus in all of our lives. And when we hang on to sin and we go down some deception and uh, stumble and, and uh, feed the flesh and indulge the flesh, then the mirror is smeared. And not only that, when we try to do the work of God without the power of God, it's just us. The mirror isn't facing the sun who, who is the one who is to be reflected. And again, people don't see Jesus. And so as we enter these days of this winter revival meeting where we seek God's reviving presence in our own lives, what is it that's smearing the mirror? What is it that's in the way? How much self-effort really is involved here so that God is actually blocked because all it is is us? Let's let God... Show us. Let's just get honest about it. And the blood of Jesus cleans us up. And friends, when you're cleansed, the next step is to be filled. And that's when people see Jesus. So you may not be aware, just as Moses wished not that his face shone, but others will see the Lord. Are we aglow with the indwelling Christ? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for your kind attention this morning. I wonder who would say, preacher, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder who would say, preacher, God's speaking to me. You know, just there at the end when you talked about the mirror being smeared, being dulled, people can't catch a clear reflection of Jesus because of self-indulgence, whether it's bitterness, resentment, anger, some aspect of the world that just hides Jesus. I wonder who would say, preacher, God spoke to me. There's some things I need to get right with, with God about things that I know good and well, smear the mirror, hurt the testimony, and hide the glory of Jesus. And I need to get honest with God about that this morning. Would you raise the hand, please, if that's you? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. I wonder who would say, Preacher, you talked about the sufficiency being of God. And I fear that often I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to do right. Not even trying to be worldly or any of that. But I fear that often it's just me. It's my own strength. My own adequacy, and I see now that that's not adequate. Only God meets the standard of God. And again, the, the mirror's not facing Jesus so that people can see him. And God's dealing with me about not just the sins of the flesh, but the work of the flesh, the strength of the flesh, trying to do right without the power of Jesus. And God's speaking to me about that part of it. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 amen. God bless. Let me ask this, since I don't know most of you yet. Who would preach if I died right now? I don't even know if I'd go to heaven. Look, salvation is not just a matter of getting you to heaven. It's a matter of getting Jesus into you. I wonder who would say, preacher, I don't know that Jesus is in me. I don't know that I have his eternal life. I don't know that if I died now or 10 years from now, I'd go to heaven. That's my need. Please pray for me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Anyone like that? Say, that's me. Now, Father, would you bless in these final moments? And I pray, Lord, that we would be honest with you, that we would do business with you. And, Lord, take us far beyond this opening thought of being aglow with you to the understanding of the provision for this, as we'll deal with tonight, then the access and the play out of it all. Lord, do the work that's needed in our lives so that we are cleansed and aglow with the indwelling Christ. 
God speaking to you, let me encourage you to take some time to talk to God as he's been talking to you.